We assure you that this podcast is not a simulation. In fact, it is V'ger, please. A hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. And I am your co-host, Peter. And Peter, there is nothing I love more than people who share our podcast with others. <laughs> because they they venture into worlds that can be fraught with danger. We had a listener who... Uh, shared our show with a with a big Voyager fan group on Facebook and then evidently had to then start defending uh, your honor specifically because, uh, you know, she described the show accurately, which is to say that you are experiencing Voyager for the first time. And that apparently did not make you a real Star Trek fan. That you have not experienced Voyager before. Instead of like a compelling reason to listen to the show, it was a dark mark upon your record. Um, so thank you. To all of our listeners who share the the show on different forums and groups and social media, uh, we want as many people, obviously, as possible to listen to it because that's what's fun for us to entertain a group. And I just want to say thanks. And if you get the chance, share this episode around and let people know there's these two rad dudes who are watching this old ass television show and ranting about it for an hour every week. And to defend my own honor as a Star Trek fan, uh, under this COVID-19 lockdown, I have put on a lot of weight. Uh, my hair is a mess because I haven't been able to go to the barber. And I currently haven't shaved in a couple weeks. So I would say my Star Trek <laughs> credentials are impeccable. Who is, who is this person who uh, tried to promote us and had to defend my Trek honor? Uh, Chris, Chris Seals, you said? Yes. Well, Chris Seals, uh, if my TNG memory serves me correctly, and Klingon culture is not my strong point, but uh, one who defends another's honor in a court is a Chadich, right? Th- that is true. That's off the cuff, by the way. That's 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 some real fucking fan power right there. So, <laughs> is that all that extra? That when you put on pounds, you put on Star Trek knowledge. <laughs> that's uh, yes. it's. Fat lipids are the Bussard collectors of Trek knowledge. <laughs> oh damn! Uh, so look at you. I know. Jesus, look at me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyways, though, uh, Chris, I hereby, <laughs> Chris, I hereby dub the my Chadich. So uh, good on you. For this week, we watched one of the episodes I've been looking forward to reviewing, uh, not because it was. It was great, not because it, it's, uh, you know, an exemplar of Star Trek uh, storytelling, because it is one of the most bizarrely produced and conceived of uh, episodes of this show that I think is underrated in terms of its bizarreness. Like everybody looks at Threshold and Tuvix and says those are the crazy episodes. And you and I have also experienced some like of some of these underrated, like uh, bizarre gems uh, like uh, Choke Daddy, uh, Tuvox Adventure in a Sweaty Grinder Alley. Random thoughts, uh, yeah. This is one of, this was one I had my eye on of like, I can't wait till we get to this. What episode did we watch this week? We we're into season five, episode four, In the Flesh. Peter, there's a, a joke that a mutual friend of ours loves to tell about the movie uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine. Uh, and I, I'm going to steal that joke from our mutual friend uh, to convey my feelings about this episode. When he talks about the movie X-Men Origins Wolverine, uh, he says that the only way to conceive of how that movie was created was that there were professional writers who were writing that movie. 
And then halfway through writing the script, they got a knock on their door and it was someone from legal who informed them that apparently Marvel ran a contest in one of their comics in the eighties for a, who wants to write the second half of a Marvel movie. And uh, they never thought they'd actually have to cash it in, but that person sued and won. And now they've got to help write the second half of a Marvel movie. And that's when the, uh, the mentally uh, deficient uh, neckbeard fanboy came in and wrote the second half of X-Men Origins Wolverine. That, that is that is what it felt like watching this thing. <laughs> like it starts off at one point with an interesting idea and, it, and the pacing and the way that they kind of give you the story, you know, in media res and do some like clever things. And then it's like this linear curve downward into the abyss. And it's so interesting to me, like how this could possibly have happened this way. But what did you think of it? <laughs> it was a good episode and it's hard to call it a good episode because it is dealing with a subject material that it's just like stubbed its toe uh getting out of bed immediately for for the day of shooting like there's a lot of cool stuff in here there's a lot of good scenes in here but it's like if you took a solid story and then you took the key concept and said okay now let's take um let's take the joker out of batman 89 and let's replace it with a piece of cherry pie like what well so a piece of cherry pie fell in a vat of acid and might have also killed bruce wayne's parents and then a piece of cherry pie a piece of cherry pie can't shoot the bat wing down like (laughs) what is this you're crazy what like there's a good story about like this cold war buildup this sleeper uh operative training fantasy full immersion larp um all this all this good stuff and then you say all right well the person behind all this is species 8472 and you're like what what (laughs) it's it you you nailed it this is a really cool concept and it feels like they used it because they had no other way of doing any kind of compelling storytelling with species 8472 and this was how they were going to essentially dispose of them. That's how I felt like let, – let me cut, well, cut to the chase. This is the last time on Star Trek Voyager Species 8472 is ever used. I knew we had another 8472, at least one more episode to go. And I thought based on our previous conversations because you say you know they need to go back. They need to do damage control. They realized how bad they fucked up. You know, the mistreatment and stupid decisions that Janeway makes in Scorpion Part 1 and 2, you know, they have repercussions and they have to circle back around and fix it. I figured it was going to be a situation where the Borg have continued their campaign of aggression on fluidic space, that they are now using uh, Janeway's, what, what, what's the nano weapon they use? The nanoprobe, uh, or the, yeah, the nanoprobe uh, torpedoes. Yeah, that they they're using these nanoprobe torpedoes and that they are continuing to attack and causing problems. And now 8472, which the last time we saw them 
was in the Herogen plot arc, uh, The Hunted, where we find out, hey, you know, 8472 had enough. They don't want any more problems. And the Borg are just pushing in there. And Janeway has to say, we got to put a stop to this. And we're going to go back and look at the other side of the story. And maybe, maybe I was wrong. Maybe we picked the wrong side to back, which she kind of already, you know, gets warm to these guys back in the hunted. And, and that's how they're going to handle it. Not. Maybe 8472 is actually completely reasonable and good. Like, yeah, they, they overcorrect so hard. It's laughable. Species 8472, when it was introduced in season four, was something so bad and so awful that we're supposed to buy as the viewer that Janeway making the choice to ally herself with the Borg was a rational decision. And we get very little information about them aside from the fact that they're from another part, like a band of reality, another galaxy or whatever you want to call it. And they want to just destroy all life. Right. Now, This was a major criticism that we levied against Scorpion. Our only interaction between Voyager and Species 847. Well, there's two. All right. One is Kess having psychic or telepathic contact with one of these guys who's just like, uh, f- fuck meat space, uh, burn it to the ground. Right. And mm-hmm. our criticism was like, all right, well, I think if you were to, uh, go to your average U S Marine during the middle of a war and say, hi, do you want to be my friend the, you know, they might shoot you or say, you know, fuck you and, and, and go for the throat. So maybe, Maybe the grunts in a galactic invasion aren't the best place for diplomatic relations. That's that's fact one, I will say. And then fact two is that species eight, four, seven, two, which every time a space, every time a Mewtwo laser, and that's what we call eight, four, seven, two, the space Mewtwo's because they look like space Mewtwo's. Every time one of these guys like their laser gets anywhere near Borg ships, entire cubes just evaporate cubes evaporates five Mewtwo spaceships in a Care Bear stare can Death Star a planet yet correct when Voyager gets shot three or four different occasions you know it's like uh, swatting a toddler on their ass as they scoot off because they did something naughty like there is no explosions there's no death so clearly Space Mewtwo lasers have the juice to blow up worlds by the fact that they are not blowing up one rinky dink star fleet uh, spaceship. Maybe they're pulling punches yet. Janeway continues to assume that, like you said, they are worse than the Borg and that it's better to align with zombie Nazis than this uh, this force. And so it's like you've got this major problem that the show has become aware of under the stewardship of uh brand Braga, right like jerry right. taylor didn't want to admit at all that janeway is wrong even though you know still demon was not demon uh hopes and fears you know acknowledges like hey you killed a bunch of fucking people with your decision to ally with the borg janeway never really has to cope with that she just have to escape a murder trap um but deeper into the season here in four Janeway now is once again confronted with these people doesn't actually have to say, hey, listen, I fucked up by choosing the Borg over you. Uh, But they're like, we need to not make these guys two dimensional zealot, super alien murder adventures. Right. 
Yeah, and to point out, Hope and Fear was written by Brandon Braga. So let's let's keep in mind that even the one moment during Jerry Taylor's run where there was some self-awareness about Janeway's choices, it was authored by the guy who's showrunning at this point. So I think that buys into your idea that he was of a different creative mind that we needed to do something a little bit more dynamic with these guys. And they had another problem, and that is that it was a very special effects heavy alien that they created. Yes. They look terrible, but also you can't do it in makeup, and that makes it expensive. So if we're going to do a story where we're going to explore this, we have to recreate them essentially in a fashion that makes it possible to do on a budget and makes it so they can have dialogue, right? Right. So so this this premise in that sense makes sense from a production level. What – what? go ahead. Sorry. I keep cutting you off. I, I – f- I feel like there is a a deep-rooted complaint. There is some major defect, but it's made out of, like, jelly. And it's so hard to wrap your hands around it and just squeeze that motherfucker and, like, bleed the hate out of it because it's, like, it's done well. Like, this is a real honest effort, right? They they cover a lot of ground and a lot of the normal uh, right hooks we could throw, like uh, Species 8472 back and Scorpion being, like, we will purge all life in the galaxy like this two dimensional villain thing. And now we've got this super rich, deep culture of provocative thinkers who are, you know, sympathetic, blah, 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 blah. And I want to be like, yeah, well, uh, we know these guys are a bunch of like two dimensional bad guy. Vill- but this even the episode like self references it and say, hey, listen, this is all we knew about you. And they're like, yeah, like. They tried. We were pissed. We were angry. You guys were fucking with us. What did you expect? But but like, the writers like they do everything possible to make this as cohesive and as good of a repair job as it can possibly be. Yet at the same time, completely fail in that by making these guys too human, too simple. Like like you said, they just overcompensate and they go from being completely insect alien with no common ground to oh God, these guys are just like us the entire time. And it's just this impossible gap to bridge in my mind. Yeah, they get to that. There's a high point, a little close to the halfway point, which I will I will, I will, will uh, note when we get there in the episode description. And it's from there, it's like they didn't know how to get, get the rest of the way. And because they didn't, they just took the most simplistic course possible. And it just becomes such an eye roll fest. Uh, let's actually start talking about the episodes. We're 15 minutes in. I, and I'm pleased by that because that's, this is what I find interesting about is the meta of how this came to be. Um, I, one more thing I want to mention, actually, sorry, before we start describing the show is if you look in the memory alpha notes about the production, it was buried in there, but it did say like that this episode wasn't going to be quite as like pat or as clear or as, hey, look, we can always all get along as it ended up being. But that was actually Brandon Braga's uh, change that he made to the script because he didn't want to do this anymore. He wanted to be done with the space Mewtwo's. So this was why this felt so pat. Yeah. And, and you know, the other thing that looms over this entire episode is Species 8472, again, can, like, blow up planets with five ships and a Care Bear stare. The fact that they would want to go this subversive espionage fighting dirty spy craft route instead of just flat out conquering 
is is silly. It's like all of this is ultimately unnecessary. And you can say, well, you know, they got these nanoparticles and it can fuck them up. But it's like clearly they've already made adaptions and it's not that big of a deal anymore. So it. I, uh, OK, so so they start off. Uh, we're back in uh, San Francisco. We see Starfleet. We're at, the wa- we're, at the, we're at the water treatment plant. Yeah, but if ever there's a place that gets to be a water treatment plant, it's it's Starfleet Command, man. That like, oh yeah, no, it's iconic. I love that the the it opens on the shot. In fact, you know, I don't know if you noticed, but later on, some of the establishing shots are that same Star Trek six film quality shit from uh, non sequitur. Smell it a mile away, man. I, I absolutely was. Um, we get a quick pan over as we're seeing the grounds, and we see a very familiar face which is uh, Boothby, the groundskeeper. And I got super excited. I'm like, wow, there's so you know so much attention to detail. They even got old Boothby in there. Little did I know that he would be so heavily featured through the rest of the episode, uh, much to my chagrin. And uh, we wrap things up and we find out that uh, Chakotay standing there with that big, ridiculous ass camera that they are so proud of. Like this is the fourth episode I think that we've seen so far that has featured this, this goddamn 1998 rendition of what they thought a digital camera should look like. Yes. And uh, it's, it's Chakotay. He's taken some spy pictures, not quite sure what's going on. And it's a very interesting version of, uh, and obviously, we already know because of the Netflix spoiler capsule what's going on here. But had we been watching this fresh, there have been a lot of questions raised because, A, we got a plethora of Ferengi cadets who are on the grounds. And also, everybody's still in like the DS9 Voyager all black jumpsuits instead of what should be the first contact era um, Starfleet uniforms. I, I do like that they gave you kind of visual notes that something's wrong, not only in that, but also that you see multiple Ferengi in Starfleet uniforms, which is not possible because there's only one Ferengi in Starfleet and it is Nog. So it's like, hmm, there's something not right here. Speaking of those cadet uniforms, though, I, I, I want to say the, the cadet uniform is one of the best Starfleet uniforms out there. I think it's silly that they didn't just adopt that as the DS9 Voyager jumpsuit. Um, because they look so much better, like seeing them up against the the DS9 Voyager jumpsuits. They just it's amazing how much they get outclassed. So the, the episode continues with uh, Chakotay kind of running around, scanning things. And one of the, the good, I guess, notes about the show is that uh, they tell you very little until about the halfway mark about why it is he's here and what's going on. They kind of let you kind of experience it along with the character and the character knows more than you do as the viewer. It's something that Star Trek doesn't often do, right? It's the in media res kind of beginning, like things have already happened off screen. We have not seen those things. They will be revealed to us later. And we are, there's more kind of uh, naturalistic plot development that occurs in front of the viewer as a consequence of that tactic. And I, it was so cool that they did that for this episode because it's such a rare, uh, more sophisticated storytelling style that doesn't get a lot of love on network television because it's meant to be for a mass audience. So that was neat, right? You've got Chakotay's going around and he's kind of like, kind of like playing this role. He gives a fake name. He says he was on a ship in the neutral zone and, kind of making small talk with people, including Boothby at one point. 
which at that point, it's still cute that it's, oh, it's Boothby. Great. I, I missed this guy or so I thought. He ends up in the officer's lounge, which is called the Quantum Club. There's a really great piece of set decoration in the back. It's I don't know if you noticed the it said Starfleet ships. And it's like an Excelsior Constitution, uh, a galaxy class, and then like a Nova. And it's like, do you, do you really need informational uh, charts about what the ships are like shouldn't all of these officers be damn well aware of what a fucking galaxy class Listen, is? when you're when you're filming at a holiday and express conference room you know the one with that has the bar in it uh-huh and you don't have a lot of time to like dress this this room you're like i'll put that thing on the wall I'll look make it look like it's the where the officers hang out make sure it's all got right. a star trek logo on it too just so nobody is confused um he sits down at the at the Holiday Inn Express bar, as you just so aptly pointed out, uh, and uh, he gets hit by uh, some very heavy and very effective flirting. Well, and- I mean, the, the person doing this effective flirting is an icon. I mean, you, do you recognize this actress? She seemed familiar, but I couldn't put my finger on it. That is Kate Vernon, who is better known as at, as uh, uh, Colonel Tall's wife uh from Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, goddamn, you're right, dude. So which that is that liquor sponge, I thought I recognized that fucking yes! sound. So so just like on PSG where she plays Ellen Ty, uh she is a total booze hound on this episode as well. And it's like I I, I you know Ron Moore he was in the Trek world at this time. He he makes Battlestar Galactica. You have to wonder, right? Like he's like, who do I get for this? Who do I know would be a good guest? You know, who who was a, did a guest spots on Trek that I like know some of their work and would be really good at playing a very drunk, angry spouse. Well, got it. <laughs> she is not angry, nor is she fully drunk yet. But she says, "Hey, you're in my seat, and this is my book on Vulcan stuff, and I want to buy you a drink." And there's some real heavy flirting, and then we get to see the side of. Chicote, which will go deeper and deeper throughout the episode. And it's a side of Chicote you don't normally get to see. And that is the side of Chicote who fucks. And <laughs> just like Jerry Ryan back in uh, Drone, like seeing her smile, like stunned me. I was like, wow, she is has a beautiful smile. I've never seen this before. And even though this is like 20, 30 year old uh, TV I'm watching through my monitor. I felt like she was smiling at me like you felt the magnetism. And when he starts flirting back with her, you see Chakotay melt away a little bit. And what you get instead is Robert Beltran. And you're like, man, Beltran (laughs) fucks. I got I got to say, this is a great Chakotay episode. Fuck yeah, because because he just. He gets to be fucking cool, man. Like yeah. he gets to do some rad shit in this in this episode, and he's just filled with this confidence. And yeah, his whole flirting scene uh, with Kate Vernon here is just a plus. Like, yeah, I, you know what? You could get it, Robert Beltran. I'd give it up for you. Yeah, I'm just saying. Yeah, there was a episode way back, season one or two, and it's when my wife first saw Chakotay the first time, and she's like, "Ooh, who is he?" And I'm like, "Ew, what?" Uh, I see it now. I see. Yeah, Um, we will come to find out through this initial encounter, because as he's trying to feel things out, uh, some guy extra in the corner starts grabbing at his face. And there's some like video distortion around his head and they have to drag him off. And she's like, "Ooh, 
she kind of drops character for a minute and says, have you ever started to revert? And he's like, uh, no, and just keeps playing along. And that's when we find out that these aren't all holograms. He had hit some uh, plants earlier on with his tricorder and saw that, you know, bamboo was registering as maple. And my assumption was that everything here was a hologram on a big holodeck. But no, there's a lot of biological actors at play. And we have literally a full immersion uh, live action role playing convention going on. Yes, this is a, a full immersion LARP. And we get a little OOC chatter from the. That's out uh, of character, by the way, for those of you that don't share our shameful hobby. <laughs> uh, from uh, Valerie Archer, who explained, you know, like, oh, you know, let's not talk about this. She says she's not used to uh, having to talk instead of telepathic communication and uh, being asleep. Uh, she says, like, all of these normal being a human things are, you know, very strange. And uh, it's definitely your the viewer's big, big, big hint that there's some fucked up shit happening here. And these are clearly aliens impersonating humans uh, before it can go too much uh, longer. Uh, you know, there's they're setting up a date, but that's when uh, the cock block in chief commander Tuvok makes an appearance. Yeah, so Detective Tuvok uh, was on the case of trying to ruin a good time. So, of course, he goes and puts a knife right in the back of Chicote before Chicote can have a good time and says, listen, we got to get out of here. So they go and wander off. And uh, unfortunately, the transporter site they've designated is behind a guarded area. So some little helping McHelperson security guys like, sorry, guys, you can't go that way. And they're like, uh, listen, son, you got to scoot along. We got, you know, an important meeting. And he goes and taps his phaser and they're like, OK, well, uh, we'll get out of here. He's like, but you got to come with me. And then Tuvok lays an A plus plus smooth as butter Vulcan neck pinch on this dude. And <laughs> it's been a while since we've seen him pop someone on the neck. And it felt yeah. good to watch. Yeah, it, especially, as you said, just the yeah, OK, we'll follow you. Let me just be like one step behind you and we're out of here. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like. Real, real pro uh, application, and uh, they get beamed back to the Delta Flyer, uh, but they take their helpy McHelperson along with them and uh, book it back to uh, Voyager. And this helpy McHelperson uh, wakes up in the sick bay and starts giving rank, serial number, and planet of origin uh, like he's being interrogated while... Janeway's like, uh, yo, uh, I know you ain't fucking human. <laughs> like, we, uh, we aware that you're all, you're, you're doing some bullshit. So why don't you just cough it up, son? He's like, fuck you. Uh, I'm full immersion. You're not going to get me to drop character. I'm ride or die. And she's like, listen, drop the act. And finally, he's like, you know, well, uh, I understand what you want me to do. But uh, might I suggest I eat this suicide tooth full of cyanide? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so he, he does that and he says uh, he, he does give another big hint of who it is by talking about how diseased humans are, which is similar language to we heard before from the Space Mewtwo's and dies again. It's silly. It's not silly. It's like there's there's nothing silly. There's nothing outright stupid. It's just it's a fundamental inability to fit. Right. If and this is what I'll get to at the very end. Had this been any other species that we have encountered, minus the Borg, 
this would have been a great episode that made a ton of sense. One, one species eight, four, seven, two could kill everybody on this ship. And if this guy's ready yes. to die anyways, if he had just said, oh my God, it's the death ship Voyager that has completely wronged us and caused this intergalactic rift. And here I am, if I just shut off my human form, I will turn into a giant space Mewtwo and I can rampage through this whole ship and kill everybody. Instead, the guy's like, uh, damn it. I'd love to, you know, mighty morph into a power ranger and, and kill these guys, but <laughs> damn it, we don't have the special effects budget for it. So I guess I'll just have to kill myself instead. There's a little bit of talk in Astrometrics about how the simulation basically recreates all of like Starfleet Command, Starfleet Academy, and a bunch of San Francisco, and how sophisticated it is, and that it's both molecular recreation and holograms, and it's like powered by like a whole bunch of power sources. And uh, the doctor calls Janeway back and does the standard, I've completed my autopsy, you should get down here, rather than telling her the actual information and so they can do the scene change. The the thing you hate and you never want actual subordinates to ever do. And uh, when she gets down there, the doctor does the hypo spray to the body to With revert it. Very gratuitous nipple shots. <laughs> We do get a lot of uh, of male. Well, well, you know, we get a lot of uh, suggested nudity later, I guess. Right. Uh, yeah, you, you could say that. <laughs> we'll get to that, I assume. But the the uh, the doctor applies a hypo spray to the uh, the body they have in it. It, it morphs into a eight four seven two corpse. And that's when they know, oh, it's it's these guys that's weird <laughs> again had it been anybody else so what we know about species 8472 previous to this was that they were these zealots hell-bent on purging non-fluidic space of inferior life that they were just the the worst they were the fucking worst right that's why janeway throws in with the borg um that they are extremely deadly, that one of them can just kill everything in front of it, that Herogens going ape shit with their super blasters can't even kill these guys. Uh, and all of their stuff is organic in nature, right? So a big part of this puzzle that, you know, one of the many pieces that don't quite fit is like, all right, if this spaceship or the if the, the holodeck space station was like a big organic kidney floating out in space with weird holographic technology inside. Like I'd buy that, but instead you've got the space station that looks like it could be Romulan or Bolian or, you know, Federation dark mirror, like nothing about the design language says eight, four, seven, two at all. Yeah. Based on the limited information we have, this already doesn't make sense. And what makes even less sense is the next scene where they're like, okay, so we know it's species A472. And Janeway's like, fuck these guys. Seven of Nine's like, yeah, fuck these guys. And they get a whole bunch of Borg nanoprobes ready and they wanna they wanna get be ready to fucking fuck these guys up. Mind you, the last time we actually had them on the show was as you said in that Hunters episode where they like came to the revelation of like, oh, wait, no, maybe we could actually negotiate with these guys. 
And now they know that they're all masquerading as humans who can be talked to. Right. Mm-hmm. They already know that. Right. Like, oh, so now we can communicate effectively using our words. And we already know, like, there's some reasonableness somewhere in them. So maybe we can talk our way out of this. Like, it makes no sense that they're at this point, based on where they're at in the story, the Janeway should be like, saddle up, motherfuckers. It's time to fuck these guys up. Yeah, you would have to. Uh, if if they wanted to go the route that they went with this, where they have overcompensated so crazy, it would have made more sense for the the. Uh, Mewtwo's that were dealing with this and being like, listen, there's there's two types of us. There's like the crazy religious guys that you got in a fight with before. But then there's like the culture to OK version of us that you're dealing with now. And that's why there's such a, a paradigm shift in in everything about us. Like it just it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work. Yeah, it, it, basically, you're saying they should have stolen the plot from Halo. <laughs> Sure. I mean, yeah, but but yes, I mean, that is some kind of acknowledgement of there's there's a little bit, I guess, of that at the very end about the internal division where like the Boothby is like, I don't know if anyone will listen to me, like almost as an afterthought. Yeah, but but at that point, it's just also far gone. It just doesn't matter Um, that they they have the the briefing room scene and. Uh, Chakotay is like, well, you know, I do have a date with uh, like, you know, a hot blonde species 8472 apparently. So I'm just going to go do that anyway because Chakotay wants to fuck and uh, I'm willing to go where no man has gone before. Yeah, for real. Um, There is a big part of this briefing scene where Janeway and again, I, I don't. Yes, we can criticize Janeway because she has Swiss cheese memory and is completely ignorant of the the events of Hunted. As you've pointed out, like that's the only thing that's to really say and and show just how disjointed and unfaithful Species 8472 is to their own history with the show. The only thing you can compare it to is Janeway, who, you know, uh, this week she's hot, last week she's cold, and there's no continuity in her behavior at all. Uh, Janeway, minus the fact she should know better. I think has a strong, good and sympathetic performance through this, right? She is aware that there is a grave threat to the Federation. She has no way to uh, alert Starfleet command that these guys are getting ready to infiltrate, even though they don't need to infiltrate. They could just go in there and blow Earth up with a Care Bear stare, but whatever. Uh, There is some good speculation, and I don't know who was behind the scripting on this, but they're like, how the fuck does Species 8472 have such rich details about Earth and Starfleet Command? Like, this is a really good knockoff. Did they steal it from the Borg? Have they already done long-range reconnaissance? Do they have some other way to, like, spy on us? Gosh, how do they have it? And they throw around some of these, you know, what-ifs, but I think they very intelligently never answer that question. So you can't ultimately right. say the actual, yeah, the actual answer to the question is irrelevant. It's they pose enough theoreticals that are like, you don't need it answered, you know? And that's such a good move on Star Trek. Cause so many of the times the hard answer they give is stupid and deserves to be mocked and beat up the way that we do. So this is, I think is a good compromise. Like there's a bunch of different ways out there. It could be whatever. At the end of the day, we have a very advanced, alpha level threat that is preparing to infiltrate and probably genocide uh, the human race and the rest of the Federation along with us. 
Janeway has no real way to contact Starfleet and give them a heads up. So she perceives her only answer at this point is to blow these fucking guys up and go into full. War. Um, I I under I would agree with like an eighty percent aggressive stance on her part, where she's like. Everything she says about, like, we have no way to tell Starfleet Command what these guys are fucking about and what's happened. So, you know, we might be the only thing that stops them from executing on a plan to infiltrate or destroy or invade Earth. But there was no acknowledgement from Janeway herself through the entire episode of, like, there might be a diplomatic solution if they're sophisticated enough to, you know, do this deception and, you know, can be communicated with. Like, if we've established that these things are true, then it may be possible to, to talk our way out of this rather than fight a war against an implacable foe who outguns us horrifically. Like, the, like Jacote going on his date is just treated as reconnaissance and not actually as an avenue for diplomacy. And that's where I draw fault with the episode because they have reason to believe at this point they should be able to talk to them. And now they have even more reason. And the the only acknowledgement of that is actually the doctor telling like Seven of Nine, like, boy, I hope there's a diplomatic solution and Seven of Nine being, well, there won't be. Fuck you. And that's really it. Like nothing from Janeway, who as the commanding officer and main character of the show has to be the fulcrum where that happens. And then a diplomatic solution happens later. And it's just like bad. It's just the worst scene I've ever seen. More egregious uh, is my complaint that nowhere in any of this conflict that Janeway is feeling is again, there a, any sort of self-realization that this, this, this eminent danger that the entire Federation will be facing is a direct consequence of her own ignorant actions through Scorpion. Again, her desire to get 150 people home was so intense that not only did she ally with the Borg and fuck over the entire Delta Quadrant, and and as I said before, fuck over the rest of the universe because the Borg will win on a long enough timeline, um, but she also intentionally picked a fight with Species 8472. And yeah, now they're coming for Earth. It's her fault, and there is zero culpability on her end to acknowledge any of that. There is an interesting line in this, too, where they mention that there's 125. Oh, when they start checking to see if uh, Chakotay and Tuvok were um, body doubles, because now there's like this doppelganger paranoia, which I'm always about. Janeway, very yeah, yeah. smart to like check. Um, there's a throwaway line in there that there's 125 people on the ship, and it's like, damn, was was there a fire? Was there? Was there? <laughs> I mean, a, like the ca- the casualties have added up over the years. Was there a fucking uh, uh, carbon monoxide leak while everybody was sleeping? Like, what the fuck happened there, man? They uh, they they return to uh, the simulation, and Chakotay beams down to go on his date. And, you know, like encounters Boothby talking to Valerie Archer at the table. They have some small talk. Um, you know, they decide to go dancing. And what I call the high point of the episode is just a, a throwaway scene on the Delta Flyer where Tom Paris and Harry Kim are talking about how they haven't been able to get in touch with with Chakotay in several hours and Tom's like, Oh, you know, you're taking a girl on a date, you know, it's going to do this, do that. You know, you got to kind of work your angles, you know, get her buttered up to get her in bed, you know, the usual Tom stuff. Mm -hmm. And fucking Harry Kim says, 
The last time I encountered Species 8472, they tried to eat me from the inside. <laughs> like, at last, we have acknowledgement on screen of the Species 8472 super aids that should have killed his character. I was absolutely amazed to see that. At the same time, completely, once again, ignoring the uh, the the events of Hunted. Which is interesting that, you know, you mentioned that because my major complaint on Harry Kim then was it was such an excellent opportunity for him to manifest um, trauma from those events. And instead, he's just completely ignorant of it and, and dances through it. There was another good scene on the Delta Flyer when they're equipping Chakotay to go down to the surface or the, the holodeck again. Do you see him hand him a type one phaser? Yes. It's like the like, second time there's been a type one phaser on this whole fucking show. I think the first time was like caretaker, but that's probably I think has to be the last time they ever show the type one phaser for like the rest of the 24th century. Like I was amazed that they actually pulled that fucking thing out of mothballs. And then I was, was even neat, more though. neat idea. Like you got a he got an uh, you got a pocket pocket pistol, you know, because his service. And I don't want to draw too much attention. Uh and yet at the same time, I'm amazed that the phase, uh, the, the type one phaser works against the space Mewtwo's when, yet, you know, like I said, the Herogen nuclear blasters don't even have an impact. There's just what well, they did say it was like packed with like Bork nanoprobes to give them to give them the 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 bad jujus. Yeah, so we coughed all over sense. this thing. They're going to get COVID-19. <laughs> yeah, this one's got COVID all over. They're going to have to drink bleach. It's it's going to be a real mess for them. Um. Dare, Harry has another line in that, and he says, "Oh, geez, I always wondered what it'd be like to date an alien. Like, what, what, what do you wonder exactly, Harry? Because I've seen how you act around alien women. Like, do you wonder like how hard exactly you'd have to bust them over the head with a vase to kill them? <laughs> because that's how you act around alien women. I'm referring, of course, to uh, his adventure on Cougar Island, where he was." to be wed and space vampired away. So I've got in my mind now uh, what I'm going to call the Harry's hardness scale. And that's Harry thinking like, how hard would I have to strike this person in the back of the, this person who just wanted to tie me up and have sex with me? Like how hard would I have to hit them to needlessly kill them? <laughs> so uh, they, they continue with the date on the surface and we finally get to uh, Valerie Archer's simulated apartment. But not before uh, the mention of something that just so interesting to me, uh, the Vulcan nightclub night at the Vulcan yeah. nightclub. <laughs> <laughs> How easily we could have veered from sci-fi into what I would only assume to be a fucking suspense thriller. <laughs> Talk about a place that I would never want to set foot anywhere near. Because after what Vork put Bolana through, I mean, it, you know. <laughs> that might as well the be a maximum problematic does not begin to describe what that would be like it would be like walking into a fucking federal prison shower <laughs> it's like hey ladies do you want to get potentially sexually assaulted by a bunch of extremely strong extraterrestrials come to pond fire night at the Vulcan nightclub like no 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 uh <laughs> yeah it's it's crazy um they get back to uh archer's quarters and they look pretty cool and even uh, uh 
uh, Chicote comments, oh, this is where they're putting officers up now. Little did he know how nice Harry's apartment would have looked in an alternate <laughs> reality. But I'd say she's got a nicer setup. She does. Uh, they have a little, um, you know, flirt, more flirty talk. There's a, there's a comment about how Chicote still won't drink any alcohol. Valerie Archer apparently loves, loves the liquor. Mm. Um, they, uh, Chicote finds like an alien computer to potentially access, isn't able to do so. They talk more about these books, uh, that Archer has. And she goes on to express a, I guess you'd call it a fondness for the human capacity for expressing their beliefs through art, music, and literature. And it kind of veers from still mostly in character to an out of character conversation. And they start talking about humans in kind of the other sense. And that uh, Chakotay like makes, a, I would call it a half-hearted effort to, to plant the idea that humans aren't so bad. And uh, it's at that point, I think that we get the she goes to uh, give herself an injection of whatever it is, is keeping them isomorphic injection is what she called. Ah, OK, uh, I got to go I'm starting to lose my form, which again shows that on a long enough timeline, these guys will shed this thing and go into full blown, you know, horrid form where they could just wreck face instead of eating their poison pill to die. Uh, she slips off to go slip into something more comfortable. Uh, we get a silhouette shot of her getting undressed and her massive dong popping out. <laughs> I just the most. Why is that shadow there? Like, I don't what was know. That a shadow of. <laughs> but but thank God for screenshots, because that was that felt good getting a screen cap of that and throwing it up on the support group. Dude, there is a a screen cap of that silhouette shot in memory alpha. Is there? Like, yeah, like that is that is an amazing dong shot. Like how how is this how did this happen? How is this a thing? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's amazing. Yeah, well, uh so she comes back and like you said, he he butters her up. Um and this is where Beltran really shines as somebody who has a lot of notches on the bedpost. There is some A plus flirting on both ends. Um, and he dances through the scene without really getting himself into much trouble while, like you said, laying down the planting the seeds that maybe humans aren't bad. Maybe this was a misunderstanding. You know, do we really need to go the nuclear route on this? Uh, she gets a little defensive. He diffuses it well. And by the end, uh, he, you know, it's. <laughs> It's inevitable, right? She's charming. She's wonderful. Uh, he's getting such good dialogue. She's pleading her case. And wouldn't you know it, uh, where Chicote walked into this apartment, instead walking out is none other than Coopte, who has now become <laughs> sympathetic to the enemy side. Uh, there's a little kiss that goes on, and off Coopte goes to return home so he can... Uh, let people know that, hey, we don't need to have this war after all. I would like to point out that the kiss scene between the two of them is one of the best kiss scenes I've seen uh, on TV because it start the way they you know, pace themselves with the hesitance and then rolled into the full blooded appreciation. Uh, that was really good. Like, it's hard to do that kind of 
passion on camera, probably multiple takes, right? Like you probably didn't get it on the first try. And to be able to get that down and make it feel like this could have happened that way, especially when you're talking about two actors who probably never worked together before, you know, having to do this episode. Hard to do. Maybe. Good job. Or maybe Beltran's so damn smooth that any botches or retakes they had to do on that was intentional because she just wanted another go. Because <laughs> Kate this, Vernon wanted just wanted a little bit more time. That's just, just smooth. Like, we need another one. She got that first kiss and she was like, ooh, coochie moya. <laughs> he leaves after having shown her the right way to kiss. And this is, you know, the first time this this telepathic race of space Mewtwo's, you know, enjoying all these human emotions and going out of their way to experience a life for this full immersion experience that doesn't need to happen, whatever. He leaves and you could tell she wants more or so you think she had touched his face or something and she looks down at her hand and it's like she had just been swept off her feet with this kiss. She feels like so intensely about this and she looks at her hand like it's go time. You and I are going to go do something very naughty and I'm going to fully experience this human emotion. Uh, but no, she's not going to jerk off her enormous dong. She uh, <laughs> She's taking it over to some DNA scanner and we find out that she is not as swept away as we thought. She smells trouble on the horizon and what she just did was play Chicote so she could get her own little DNA sample and figure out that uh, this guy is not in fact a fellow LARPer. This is a human. They execute a brief chase. Uh, Chakotay does bust out the type one phaser and blast a dude with it. Attack of the extras. And but eventually all of the extras kind of fast walk to wherever he is. <laughs> and he just kind of gets, oh, I'm captured now. And that's it. Like it's this is this is where the downward slide becomes quite exponential. Um, they take him back to the Holiday Inn Express bar and uh, Booth Bay is there and is like, the fuck who are you know like where are you from how many ships are there he starts interrogating him and chakotay's like uh is this one i'm from voyager and he's like how'd you find us and that's when you finally find out like how this episode happened which is like yeah so we heard a federation com frequency it took us weeks to find it but we found it and like oh i guess we went a little too far with making this like the best simulation we possibly could oops <laughs> like uh-oh <laughs> Chakotay's like, listen, this is all a misunderstanding. Uh, let me introduce you. My name's Coopte. I'm on your side. Can't we all get along? Let me be. How many your- times has he been imprisoned by an extremely powerful alien race and then tries to sweet talk them? Four? At least, you know, it's it's in his character Bible, I guess. Uh, Boothby really starts grating on me at this point because this the sweet old guy they got playing Boothby is nice for like a wistful insightful mentor figure uh not so much as a uh alien overlord who is overseeing an invasion from space yeah calling people like sunny jim and stuff like that is is not giving you the vibes very very biden performance (laughs) yes i i i I, listen here jack (laughs) i i i i have to agree and uh, they they had no special effects budget for this episode, I guess, because 
the Delta flyer gets shot at, but they don't show that they don't show any exterior shots of Voyager, like approaching or getting shot at or anything like that. Um, it just comes down to basically a quick, uh, uh, scene between Janeway on the bridge of Voyager talking to Boothby over the view screen of where they threaten each other and eventually decide to talk. What happens where, because before we get to that, uh, Valerie Archer injects or she takes like a sample out of uh, Chakotay's neck. And I'm like, man, just women, bitches love that neck meat. <laughs> Especially out of him. They love Chakotay neck meat. Archer, like, there is something about the inside of his neck that just people love and they want a part of. And this is, yeah, this is the second time his neck meats have been abducted. I would love it if there was another Species 8472 episode where a pregnant member of the species (laughs) shows up. (laughs) It was like, Chakotay, it's yours. And it's like, uh, I don't know about Space Mewtwo. Can you, like, turn back into the blonde again? Yeah. Uh, Janeway holds up pretty good through this episode. The performance, you know, again, there's some glaring oversights in the way she behaves, like her her motivations, her lack of uh, remembering anything about Hunted and her previous behavior there. But like and again, her completely ignorant of her own culpability in putting the Federation in grave danger. Uh, But her conflict, seeing that she doesn't want to go to war, feeling like her hand is being forced agreeing with seven of nines ultra militaristic stance on this, but not ultimately being okay with it. Like that all felt like good Janeway to me. Um, and eventually she gets in the standoff with this massive space station full of dudes that could, the space Mewtwo's could just jump into space and cling to the hole and rip a Voyager apart. Like the, the whole fucking thing's absurd. Her having any agency in the negotiation on this at all is ridiculous. Like, I don't think they play up enough that, Species 8472 would have to be deathly, deathly afraid of humanity and think that the um, the the Borg nanoprobe weapons they levied against them was something super casual. I completely agree that there was a lot of things they could have done. And we, I think at this point we've well established that there's missing pieces to this episode that would have made it work or at least work better and the absence of those creates this void which is what the next scene felt like to me like the the negotiation scene the the climactic scene of the episode is absolute dog shit this the whole nature of this negotiation makes no sense whatsoever because what they establish in this scene, they have this big sit down they're in the briefing room. You got the Starfleet people on one side. You got the species eight, four, seven, two people on the other. And they basically insult each other while, you know, expressing all of their, uh, their past encounters and the impressions that has left each other with. And it, it all comes down to basically that Valerie Archer wants to fuck Chakotay so bad that like she, though two of them start agreeing and forces everybody else to agree. But it's just the, what we find out is that species A472 weren't going to invade earth. They just wanted to find out more about humanity. They just want to like, take a look around. That's what they claim. And it it's, we're supposed to accept that as true on part of, on the part of the viewer. And I'm like, what? Where did these incredibly reasonable people come from? Like the, this isn't an implacable race of of 
people from uh, things from fluidic space that want to exterminate all life. And in this episode, we had a guy kill himself rather than be unclean by association with humans. But in this episode, like the writing is good enough to try and like apologize and bring the inconsistencies to the forefront and still ultimately be mishandled. So it's like, it's every, the best intentions are laid down here and it's just, yeah, the bad fit had this, just and any any other alien species, the Mengele space elves, the Vidians, the Skeevy, just a brand new race. Like, hey, we've been observing you and we're really scared and we're going to go invade, you know, Earth and try and find out more. But not the fucking space Mewtwo's. And the ridiculous part of the meeting is that the Mewtwo's never go out of character. The Boothby character acts like Boothby the entire way through. And the Admiral Gridlock or whatever the fuck, Chain Dog, whatever his name is, <laughs> he acts like an ultra-militaristic, you know, uh, Starfleet Admiral the whole time. And and Archer is still the sweet, you know, whatever the hell she's supposed to be portrayed as. Had they dropped the shtick and been like, listen, we're going to talk in our normal voices now. Uh, you know, you guys, he, here's our end. But they they keep up the shtick. It doesn't work. It comes off as silly. Finally, Janeway's like, listen, even though I know that you guys are a huge threat, I I thought you were enough of a threat that I banded with the fucking Borg and created the situation in the first place. I'm going to just show you our technology, the one fucking ace up our sleeve to keep you from just steamrolling us. Here's how nanoprobes work so you can finish your efforts to become immune and they're like cool well, we can't guarantee you that you know we're gonna play nice here but this is a great step in the right direction um also we're not going to kill you even though we could just kill you and keep our secrecy in the entire matter because you've told us that starfleet doesn't know you're out here or you have no way to yeah chikoji just gives that shit up and it's these massive plot holes open up as to why these implacable conquerors are suddenly the most reasonable motherfuckers in the galaxy. It, it's such a battle of extremes. And like you said, it was a genuine effort to fix what happened and make these the species more interesting and to fit them into the narrative and do something. And they still managed to just kick themselves in the dick over and over and over again in this episode and come to a conclusion that just feels so pat and so unearned and so rushed. Like it, the episode wraps with everybody like getting this like tour of the simulation of like, here's how we did this. Here's how we did that. Oh, did you recreate that coffee shop? I love in San Francisco. Like they're buddies now, like in the next scene like that. Hey, could you use your crazy (sighs) fast warp technology and bring us back closer to earth? No mention of that. No mention of anything else. Um, the I, I, I want to take a step back. Ultimately, this feels I enjoyed watching this episode a lot. There's some weak spots. Um, there's some infuriating. Not, well, there's nothing infuriating. It, it's just it's just real head scratcher stuff going on. But this was supposed to be a big, heavy space combat scene. Voyager was supposed to go toe to toe. And that meeting at the end was supposed to be after they had a major military engagement. I think they cut it for budget reasons. Ultimately, though. I appreciate the end of the ending. It's a goofy, clowny scene, but I like that they go the diplomatic route. This is classic Star Trek. This is lawyer Picard in spirit. This is what I want Star Trek to be about is ultimately 
there's all these reasons to hate each other, but it's a better tomorrow. We're going to make the effort. It's going to work and it's going to feel good. And you contrast that with Picard, which was just mindless violence, no attempt at diplomacy, people ignoring obvious opportunities to resolve problems. Uh, and and for all the reasons I hated Picard, this is what I loved about classic 90s Trek, and I was happy to have it happen regardless. I completely agree that there being a diplomatic solution and the earnestness of the Federation slash humanity to, you know, listen to the better angels of their nature and not fight uh, is definitely what should have happened at the end. What is missing is just a believable story to bridge the gap of how they got there. And they couldn't think of one. And so they just put this vomit on screen. And so, yeah, I like the idea. I love the idea of the episode. I love, in fact, think I could buy like some more depth to species 8472 that made it so that they felt like they had to do this or they had the capacity to do this because there's so much unknown. But instead of that, we get this, this, it's it's too, it's too perfect. It's too on the nose. Everyone's too reasonable. And it ends it, it on, with too nice a bow tied on it. Here's that's how you what I didn't this. like. Had they said at some point, like, listen, Again, there's two factions of 8472, like the ultra military faction. They want to just go and invade. We're afraid of your crazy chemical weaponry. We also believe based on wherever we got all this information from, you guys can be reasoned with. And our efforts here to infiltrate Starfleet is to try and find a peaceful resolve or at least know you're not coming to kill us so we can keep the other half in check. And we want to work with you. You just need to meet us. And then Starfleet being like, we're afraid of you, too. And the common bond there, it just. 8472 instead being misrepresented as something it is completely not. Again, you could have had a slice of pie in there, sentient pie, and it would have made as much sense with the behaviors and shit as we saw as it being species 8472. So I don't this was not a waste of time episode. This was a delightful uh, Chakotay centric episode. Uh, A lot of cool stuff happens. It's just it's a shame that they wasted a good skeleton for an episode and a neat cold war infiltration angle on the one one of the two species that it in no way at all should have been well i think the takeaway we can have is that beltran robert beltran fucks, fucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah what are we watching next week though uh next week we're going into season five episode five once upon a time, and we have a blue merman and Groot and what looks like Naomi Wildman. The Delta Flyer crash lands after encountering an ion storm. Classic Delta Quadrant. Uh, Voyager desperately tries to rescue Tuvok, Paris, and a badly ensign, injured Ensign Wildman. This is a, I think this is a, as I recall, an, an interesting one. You know, that they, they, it's, I think you, your appreciation of this episode will be higher if you are, have kids, and you do. So I'm going to be interested to hear what you have to say about it. We'll see. Uh, I'm once again stunned that this is our last interaction with 8472. This was an episode that didn't need to happen, Joe. The, nah. the, the, the way we parted ways with 8472 in The Hunted, I think, was sufficient. 
And I think, again, had they revisited because Janeway realized she made a terrible mistake and now that 8472 is being further victimized by the Borg, that would have been a compelling story to tell. But this was just nobody asked for this. Why do they do this? I, you know, I think it was a matter of wrapping up, I guess, the plot hole, but I guess there really wasn't one. I guess you're right. Like, there wasn't a reason to do this episode. I agree. There was nothing about Species 8472 that begged for them to have some kind of finality to it. Uh, and so doing this was unnecessary. And it feels like it feels like that they shouldn't have done it rather than do what they did. But they did it and we watched it. And we'll have to we'll have to decide for ourselves if we're better off for doing it. Well, thanks for joining us on Future Please. Hey, for Voyage for the Delta Quadrant. We'll see you next week. 